socio-political issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Welcome to episode 104 of YDHTY, the last episode in our 104 episode season and the final episode of the Big Geno era. This being Geno's last day, he may end it halfway through by flipping us all off and walking out, so don't be surprised if the episode's cut short. <laughs> when I started what would become You Don't Have to Yell, it came from a realization that the breakdown in America's political dialogue had reached crisis levels. and. I didn't just want to promote the electoral reforms that would bring us back to a more stable path, but I also wanted to create a place where we could talk about difficult subjects without trying to own anyone. And a few weeks ago, I received an invitation from the final guest in season one, today's guest, Jay Kevin Powell to appear on his Open Windows Culture podcast. And it had the exact same goal, albeit focusing on more than just politics. And I was really impressed by his mission and more impressed by the framework he made for getting people to find common ground. So I asked him to come cap off two years of YDHTY and help lead us into the coming season. During our conversation, we touch on this framework he built, but we also touch on some conditions in our environment that actually might work against it. It'll make sense in the episode. As always, if you like it, share it with your friends, neighbors, and enemies, give it a review, and subscribe. I will be back at the end with my final thoughts. I was telling you how you're like, you're really the perfect guest for the final or the, for the final episode of the 104 episode season one of YDHTY. Don't ask me why I kept it at 104. It's just kind of the way it worked out. But, but, there was but, no secret numerology in there. <laughs> I, I guess like eventually what's going to happen is somebody like some Alex Jones type figure is going to go and tie me back to like Stalin or something. Right. As a that. But, you know, but, but right now it's just, it's 104 because my producer, the big Gino is leaving and okay. that's exactly two years. So it just, it kind of, it kind of all made sense out nicely. Yes. Yes. And so the reason I started this podcast and, and, and it's continued mission has been because I felt that we as Americans had lost the ability to talk to each other. Yeah. You know, we'd lo- yeah. we lost the ability to listen. What I'm trying to focus on is how do we talk about tough things? Yeah. And how do we, how do we, and how do we more importantly than talk about it? How do we listen to the folks who maybe have opinions that we're not cool with? Yeah. You know, in yeah. varying degrees. Yeah. And this is like your thing. Yeah. Like you're yeah. the guy. You're yeah. the, you're the <laughs> how do I talk to these, these people guy? So obviously I know what you do, but could mm-hmm. you, could you explain your background and what it is you're doing right now? 
Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm I'm excited that you decided to start with me on this whole new direction. So I, that's really cool. And once again, it's Kevin Powell and it's called Open Windows Culture. That's actually what I call it now. But starting in about 96, 97, somewhere around that time frame, I got into leadership and soft skills training. And in that process, I grew into diversity, equality and inclusion training. And the reason I ended up in that road, I grew up in Baltimore. And if you believe what you see on the news and media, you're not the only one. You know, <laughs> there's yeah. several people who look at TV or who look at movies and think that actually represents uh, culturally people. And so growing up in a city like Baltimore, where we have wonderful shows like The Wire and Homicide coming <laughs> out of our area. <laughs> there, not a lot of good press. Yeah, you know, not a lot of good press, not a lot of good TV shows. You know, yeah. the common yeah. representation of a young black male was, hey, violent drug dealer or drug user or gang member. Yep. You know, and yep. there were a lot of people that I knew in the city who were amazingly smart individuals who were doing things socially and who are out there. And it wasn't as much as people always had wrong opinion, as much as people didn't recognize that they didn't necessarily have the right opinion. And I know it sounds like it's very close, but it, it isn't because on one level, you're looking at somebody who doesn't necessarily know versus somebody who knows and decides not to care. And so that's how I ended up in, in the side of diversity. And then that evolved into open windows, which is just a concept of everybody listening to this is sitting around a window. We kind of forget about windows. They're there in every room. They're in our cars. We forget about them. They just block the sun or do whatever they do. And we forget about the fact of how they let the air in and how they bring in this new concept of air and outside. And we keep the windows closed and we just get a dusty house or a dusty mind. And so we get to this idea that if you open your windows and let in the air, let in the new perspective, let in the new concept, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you'll start to find out that, wait a minute, there is a different way to view something. There is a different approach. There is something there that I didn't know about. And if we can get to that point of recognizing those things, then we could get to the point of evolving so that we are sitting in the same place continuously. One of the things I've strived to do on YDHTY is get people who varying opinions and get people who I disagree with at times. And, and what I find is I don't necessarily agree with people or how do I put this? You know, I don't necessarily change my mind talking to them, but I understand why they got to where they are, yeah. how they got to where they yeah. are, you know? Because that also, understanding is so big. Right? Yeah. Well, and so he, I want to put a note too on what you said about Baltimore, because there's something yeah. I want to get back to. I'm saying this right now, so I remember to get back to it. But okay, um, can you tell me, so when you started the podcast, what? Just It's been, been going a couple months now, right? Yeah, yeah. Just the podcast has been going a couple of months. Okay, you know, okay. I've been doing corporate and government training and uh, organization training ooh, for a number of years now. Okay. Uh, so I've been doing that with entities and organizations, but I've always been that person who was kind of doing it quietly in the room, specifically to people. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So po podcast is opening it up broader um, because one of the things I've always been adamant about is the idea that you have to carry through to an action. And that's one of the things, especially when I'm in a group I focus on is, yeah, we can talk about a subject. But if we end this conversation, if we end this day, this workshop, whatever you want to call it, and we haven't listed out actions, specific actions to carry things through, 
then there's no use to it. Um, now, there, there are several people who will fight me on that and have a different opinion who will say the conversation is part of the action. And in some cases, yes, in some cases, no. But really, really what I am passionate about is seeing people take this pick a blank slate conversation, for example, put some words on a page, take those words, turn them into an action, and then turn that action into actually lived life, lived experience. Yeah. Do they, on, on the, on the, on the training side of things, yeah. when you, when you're getting brought in, is it mm -hmm. typically like, is it, Hey, we want to address this issue or, Hey, we think we could do better. Or we've got a five alarm fire. Come with a bucket. <laughs> Please. I've had all. Okay. <laughs> I tend to be either be all the way at the beginning of we realize we need to do something, mm -hmm. or I'm all the way at the end, we've got a five alarm fire, help, we don't know what to do, everybody's burning the place down. Yes. Okay. And so those okay. tend to be <laughs> I tend to get brought in brought in on either one of those uh what do you call those extensions or odd ends. And mm -hmm. Still, my approach is basically the same. And, and usually what happens is people want to talk about, for example, you have the whole George Floyd scenario that just blew up. And that was just a tipping point for a lot of things. And, and so people want to call in and say, hey, we have an issue where we're going to discuss race in the workplace or we're going to discuss race in the organization. And one of the reasons I call it open windows culture is I actually talk about culture. And so while I'm talking about isms, whether you're talking about racism, sexism, ageism, whatever it is, you know, I'm talking about culture. And the reason I do that, take race, for example, race became a thing in, say, 1452, give or take a couple of years. Yeah. Became a thing in 1452. Well, what came before race? Culture. What came before sex? Culture. What came before gender? Culture. All these things go all the way back to how do we identify culture and who we are and then how do we reshape culture so those isms don't become a thing? And so I talk about digging all the way down to understanding the root, understanding the culture, and how do we change our culture at our base so that racism isn't a thing, so that genderism isn't a thing, so that gender preferences aren't a thing. Yeah. And so you're, you're, you're being brought in and you're, you're asked to talk about some pretty some subjects that are pretty uncomfortable to people, you know, yeah. especially, especially race and especially yeah. after George Floyd. Yeah. Um, how do you get people to open up? And, and more importantly, I think, how do you get people to be honest? Because I do feel like that's a conversation where a lot of people hold back. Oh, that is <laughs> that, that is. And the thing that I use that I think applies across the board, because there, there's one, there's one problem when I come in, and that's because being able to have these conversations depends heavily on relationship. And it depends heavily on knowing that you can trust the person next to you to not take something and hold it against you forever. And that's the hard thing to establish, especially because I do like walking into companies where they have no clue who I am, which is, I think, part of the strength of my scenario, because I can say, you've never seen me walking around these halls. I don't know what you're talking about. And oftentimes when, what I do is I like to come and say, I don't understand your language. I don't understand your acronyms. I don't understand anything about this, your culture here. So explain it to me like I'm an idiot. And that kind of helps break the ice where, okay, here's this new guy and he's just laying it out there. He, he doesn't know what's going on here. So we got to tell him. But in your experiences, and I'm talking about yours, the listener, in your experience, when you're dealing with a scenario where you somewhat know people, but you don't know them well enough, I still believe that explaining definitions and explaining the rules of the conversation helps. 
And we, we did this on my podcast. And it's the reason I do it because one, explaining the rules makes it clear. It, it makes it clear that, hey, we're going into this conversation. We're going into a hard conversation. It might be a conversation you're uncomfortable with. It might be a conversation where we have differences of opinions, but we're going to go into this conversation honestly from the same perspective and not same perspective, but the same foundation, the same base. We're going to try and share our perspectives from the same base and be honest about it. And I think that offers a safe space. It sounds like the framework of discussion is super important. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. You're definitely hearing that right. Between the framework and also you can't ever skip. And I know it sounds tedious. It honestly sounds tedious. I will, I will say that up front. But the definition of what you're talking about is actually important. Because mm. how many times, how many times have we been in arguments or discussions with people, right? And you're sitting there and you're having an argument, and then you realize we probably aren't even taught. We like we aren't even seeing things the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're, yeah. we're talking about, and even take it back to when you're talking about, for example, you had a lot of conservative versus liberal conversations. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the conversation that always pops up, for example, is pro life, pro life, pro rights, pro life, pro rights, pro life, mm-hmm. pro rights. And, and like you said, if you sit down long enough to have a conversation with people, you understand logistically where they're coming from, even if you don't understand them. Yeah. And there's this binary thinking that sometimes I worry about in America where pro-life and pro-rights might mean a person who's pro-rights isn't pro-life. We automatically make that jump in that assumption. Mm-hmm. So before we even get into this argument, wait a minute, what do you call pro-life? Do you know, so my biggest gripe uh-huh. About the way we talk about issues today is that there is zero room for nuance. Yeah. 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 You, you know, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> right. Like your opinion is branded. <laughs> right. And there is nothing you can do. Right. To, to, to state that opinion without inheriting a whole basket of other unfavorable characteristics. Right. Because we just assume that we dump all this stuff on the people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me just dump all this stuff. Like uh, we dump a whole 40 years of understanding something. Blam. This is what you are because you said one word. And it's, I haven't spent long enough to even understand where your angle is on that. But I've already decided I've pegged who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of off topic here, but you know, what role do you feel like media plays in that? Cause I, I, I almost think that, especially now with social media and with really sort of ultra segmented news programs on cable and with all, you know, and with these, these ultra partisan websites, I feel like there are so many places for these perceptions to be reinforced. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like that almost makes us disagree more or makes these, these lines more hard? It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Because you think about it when there was a time when there were what, three networks, Mm -hmm. three networks, you had ABC, NBC, CBS, and then Fox popped up. And then every now and then you had CW and some Mm -hmm. other ones that just Warner WB and all these other little ones popped up and you had three networks and the concept behind journalism is you're supposed to be objective. Yeah. Just present the facts, only the facts. 
And I actually went to school and I went to school. I did public relations and I, in, at Howard, it was in the School of Journalism. So I wrote for the paper there for a little while. And I remember Dr. Cogwa, who was my faculty instructor on journalism, would be like, no, that's you're editorializing. Take that out. Take that out. Now you just look at the news and everything's editorialized. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you have to create ratings. You have to create re- ratings. And because every demographic has its own specific channel, whether you're talking about streaming on TV, linear TV, social mm-hmm. media, whatever, everybody has their own channel, right? And so yeah. now you have your own channel. You essentially have your own eco chamber. And mm-hmm. then the people you bring in that are the object, the opposite side or your balanced thought generally are still somewhat close enough to you not to get pissed off to change the channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so we're progressively going through this world where we become more and more comfortable with our comfort and we move further and further away from the concept that discomfort is actually something beneficial in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. That friction. Yeah. That's where you figure it out. That's yeah. And you know, it's funny as you were talking about like how each side or each network has its own expert. I I remember there was a while during COVID where like Fox news had their own doctor, like Fox news had their doctor (laughs) And CNN had their doctor and they were saying yep. entirely different things, entirely yep. <laughs> and I'm like, it's medicine. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's medicine. Like there it's should just to be, be science. <laughs> right. Right. But no, they had their own, I mean, they had their own doctor. Like, so, right. so yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Um, with has the podcast been different than the training? Cause I've got to imagine like with the training, everybody's in a room together. Everybody knows yep. each other. There's some history there. Yeah. But, I'd almost imagine, as weird as it sounds, that the podcast might be harder because you've got. Oh, people, it is. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it definitely is. Because usually I'm talking to one person and you're b- bouncing ideas off of one person. And I try as hard as possible. And sometimes I suck at this. And, and Dan, I suck at this with you because I feel like when we have a conversation, I, I just wish we, there wasn't a screen in front of us. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, you're, you're, I'm sitting there and I'm trying to make sure I digest where somebody else is coming from. Yeah. But the wonderful thing about being in the room, and if you're in a room with 100 people or you're in a room with 30, it doesn't matter. But you have this opportunity opportunity in real time to exchange concepts, to say, okay, this is your thought. Tell me more about your thought. All right. And where did you get that thought from? And then to go to the other side of the room and say, okay, now that you heard that opinion, what are you thinking? How did that change your thought or not change your thought? You know, so I can bounce back and forth and in real time process these perspectives to lead to some type of action once again that where we're going to do because definitely in person I am huge and I can't and I also can't do this as much in on a podcast, which in, in person is at the end of the day, we're coming at the end of this session and we're going to have a list of things that this organization can do or this group can do. That that's just some hardcore tangible type of objects that I don't can't do in the podcast as much. But you know, I try as much as possible to make sure I get those concepts out there. Yeah. And what were some of the concepts that you've tackled so far? Let me see. So far, we started with uh, systemic racism and financial services, and we started with that one because there was a lot going around about police brutality. And I thought that was being covered, but I felt the vocal side of how finances affects things had been left out. And I know that there was a lot of conversation via people who contacted me just from previous sessions or conversations that I was having where people 
didn't understand the, the financial aspect in the systemic aspect of racism in America. And so that's why we took that approach. Uh, we did politics because, hey, politics is a major <laughs> divisive issue in America. <laughs> um, so we definitely went into that talking about the red states and the blue states and liberal and conservative and everybody in between, which I amazingly learned that there was such a high number of in-betweens that I had completely neglected and not recognized. Um, you know, I didn't know that because there is a there had been a limit to how much I politically got involved with things because of how divisive it was. And I was dealing with other issues. It gets back. But it gets back to the whole media thing, because, yeah. by the way, full disclosure, I don't know how my neighbor's landscaper knows to show up every time I'm recording. But if you can hear <laughs> a buzz in the background. It's that, and I'm just going to continue because it's too hot to shut the windows. At least we know their shrubs are beautiful, right? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, they are. They're gorgeous. My my house. Have you, ever, have you ever seen the Munsters? Yeah. Yeah. My we've got like the Munsters house. Like we. Oh, there you go. Everybody, <laughs> like we're we're that house. So, um, because because I do this. I think that's called organic and green these days. No. <laughs> that's it. Well, look, like I'm not a horticulturist. Like I'm not right. like I. All these things I learned once I had a yard. Stuff doesn't actually grow. You got to tend it, which is seriously. I don't know. Which I is didn't a pain. This is not. What we're talking. <laughs> this is this is a me thing. Um, but but yeah, but it gets it get it gets back to the media thing because we're presented, yeah, as if there are two polar. Two sides that existed polar opposites yep. of each other. Yep. And the and the the folks in the middle, the nuance, the the folks who have nuance, the folks who want nuance, they're not heard and they're not spoken to. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You are so accurate there. You are so accurate. And you know, I'll admit when you talk about the broad landscape of everything you can approach and go after and and try to do something responsible with, it's large. I mean, I admit that directly. Yeah. But it also doesn't mean that you should let media inform you entirely. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. We have to be proactive. We have to go out, even if it is, and I do, I do do this and we'll probably jump in there somewhere about my hate of the word organic, but there's, <laughs> there, I, I, I write down a list and have a written list of, okay, I need to do this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue, just so I can periodically make sure that I go out and read and try to learn something about it. Because if you just wait for it to hit, you got to also remember when you're talking about social media and media that I use, I have an iPhone, I have that news app that pops up. The algorithm is made to feed off of what I read. So it will give me only what is based off of what I read. Your post on Facebook, that does the same. Anywhere you go, Twitter does the same. What is the stuff you click on so that we only feed you that? I mean, you can go to YouTube and end up watching one concept your whole life because they will feed you exactly what they think you see. And so unless you manually go through the process to work around that algorithm or the work around that system, you're going to be stuck in, in this system where you only think and only hear the things that you want to hear. And you lose the ability to understand and hear stuff that somebody else or somebody some from someplace else has. And I said someplace else, which could be wrong, too, because there are plenty of times where there is somebody who works in the office right with you has a completely different work experience than you. Or there's somebody who lives right next to you on the same street and their life experience is entirely different from yours. And, you, and if you don't stop and, and stop and listen and say and ask and question, question 
you'll never know it. You'll just assume my life matches their life, which matches their life. And that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or yeah. And, and, and I think as important, you know, what I see is real. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Yeah. You know, the impression yeah. I have is real. 40% folks. That's the number of people in America who don't identify with either major party, bigger than either of them in terms of voters. 60% is the number of Americans who feel another major party is needed. Both are a signal something's wrong, and both are a signal Americans are looking for something more, and that is why you listen to You Don't Have to Yell. Now, nothing's going to change until we open up the two-party system to real political competition. And in the right numbers, we can make this happen. So here are two ways you can help. Number one, if you dig the content on YDHTY and you know someone else who would, please share this show with them. The goal of YDHTY is not just to push for electoral reform, but to get the center back into the conversation And this podcast grows by word of mouth. Number two, if you want to take action in your state, visit rankthevote.us. It's an organization focused on growing the ranked choice voting movement in all 50 states. And while there are no shortages of ways to reform elections in this country, ranked choice voting is by far the most practical and effective way to make elected officials accountable to the majority of voters, not just the parties. 2020 is going to be a decade of change, and I hope you'll choose to join me in making the change for the better. And now, back to the episode. It's funny, the last episode was with um, a guy who's a diehard Trump supporter, Okay. Um, and it was interesting, you know, when I was talking to him, I realized how with the media landscape, it's understandable how a reasonable person could think the way he does. Oh, heck yeah. Because, you know, cause what he's being fed, I mean, I, you know, and I didn't agree with him, but what he is being fed is, and, and, and what he's being fed as trustworthy is a totally different perception or totally different image. Um, And this kind of, this is why I wanted to get back to Baltimore and I want to get back to like how Baltimore is portrayed. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, it's funny, I think for the, and I'll speak of my, my own upbringing and, and, and open up there and then, and then talk about how this weaves in. You know, I was brought up being taught racism was wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. I was brought up being being, uh, you know, I was brought up with and around other people who were taught the same way. And it's yeah. Boston. So we have our history here. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah, there, was yeah. a, there was a mix. But um, but, you know, for the most part, the you know, the 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 vast majority of people I grew up with and I grew up in a predominantly white town. You know, you were the way I like to put it is if you weren't Irish or Italian, you were Greek. Like that was, the only, I, didn't, I didn't know okay. to give you an idea. I had to move to Chicago to understand that there were, there were non-Greek non-Catholics. Right. Like I, I had no idea, you know, but, but you grow up. So you grow up in that type of environment and you're taught racism is wrong, but you right. were fed images and you right. were fed media yep. that 
um, that portrays black communities a certain way. Yep. Right. Yep. And the, the, it took me a while to realize that that media had an effect, Yeah, you know, whether yeah. regardless of what I was being taught at home, that media has an effect on people and that yeah. media sends a certain message and it's very, and when you're brought up feeling when you're brought up uh, understanding something's morally wrong, and then you understand that that's kind of seeped into your brain anyway. Yep. That's a very, very uncomfortable and very, very, that's a, that's a very tough concept to deal with. It takes you out of your comfort zone, you know? Yep. And, and the reason I, I bring this all up is because, you know, I, the, the other thing I see now, especially where, you know, where, 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 you know, George Floyd brought this front and center. The thing I see now is that there, there's a spectrum, I think of, and I'll, again, generalize, there's a spectrum of folks on the, uh, I would say on the white side or, or their spectrum, I don't want to say white. Side, <laughs> there's a spectrum of white people uh, in terms of their acceptance of structural racism and their yeah. understanding it and their willingness yeah. to say that something needs to change. Yeah. And what I found is a lot of the ones who maybe aren't so comfortable with the way culture is moving have kind of shut down or kept quiet and they mm. don't voice their concerns. Have you encountered that? And have you been able to pull those concerns out of them or not? I have. And that's yeah. one of the reasons I like in person. Yeah. Like one of the big reasons I like in person is because you're able to say, okay, we're in the safe space to have this. Yeah. Because one of the things I hate is just the conversation needs to be had and the discussion needs to be broached. But I hate when the discussion happens on social media because yes. that goes back to your nuance thing. Yes. There, there's there's no way that when I read this 180 word post or 180 character post or whatever it is, that I look at it and I understand the full history behind those letters. The only history I can bring behind those letters is my own history that I didn't have to use to fill the space, which is going to be the wrong history to fill the space. It's going to be the wrong history to fill the space. And so what immediately happens is then I see something and the first thing I get is defensive. And we're talking about listening. The first thing that's going to shut down your ability to listen is being defensive. The moment you become defensive and you go to the, it's not me. I didn't do that. I don't think that I don't understand. I'm just going to identify as an Indian woman today. You know, the first time any of those commentary, any of that commentary comes out of your mouth, You've become defensive and you've closed your ears entirely. You've closed your mind entirely. You've closed your window entirely. We've got to remember that I like to use the analogy of the customer service rep. And tell me if this has ever happened to you. I'm quite sure it has. You've had your utilities, your internet, something's gone down. You call the customer service rep and all the customer service rep does is read you a script. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have one question I need you to ask. No, you, you're not so sorry I'm having this problem today. I just yeah. want to <laughs> I just want you to tell me when the power is going to be back on. And they got they got five questions they have to ask before they get to it, right? Yeah. And so you start getting to this point where you're pissed off <laughs> at the customer service rep. And what I'm saying is in the world of understanding cultural differences between people, we're often the customer service rep. So when that person is getting mad, when that person is getting pissed off, they're not pissed off at you. It's just they can't get to the supervisor. 
They can't get to the person to make the decision. You're the person who they're speaking to, so they have to bring their problem to you. Now, the other side of that is we've had that customer service rep that's been amazing. Like we've, we've gotten off the phone. You're like, Dina, you are wonderful. I thank you so amazingly. I thought this conversation was going to take 45 minutes. You knocked it out in five. Like, you know, her name, you're waiting after the call to give her five. <laughs> yeah. and, right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what listening is, you know, listening, allowing somebody to say, this is how I feel and using a simple phrase. I love the phrase. Tell me more. You, you don't, you're saying, you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know what to say to this person. I don't know what to do. Two things you can always say. Why? Because kids know the best way to ask questions. You don't even know, the, you don't even have to finish it. Why is the whole question? Why? 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 Just, just keep on asking why. You'll, you'll you be amazed. Keep, you, you just keep picking at it. Huh? Keep, Until you- yeah. And the idea is because you're saying, I want to know more. And if yeah. you don't, if you get sick of saying why, tell me more about that. Tell me more so I can understand. Tell me more so I know where you're coming from. And if you do that and remove that defensiveness, you'll find out you'll come to this amazing place. Like my, my in-laws live in, I was about to say Fort Wayne. They live in Grable, Indiana. And if you don't know where that is, that's Amish country. Buggies and carts and everything. <laughs> That's, that's Amish. It's in the cut. It's in the cut. And, and, and my, my in-laws are white. And I'm the young black guy from Baltimore. And we, we've gotten into discussions about, for example, for example, day laborers and a varying opinion and the different views of day laborers. Because once again, you're talking about media influence. And what is, what is your conservative radio saying about day, labor, day laborers and immigrants? Well, you know, we're sitting there, we're having a conversation. I'm like, why do you work? Because I want to give my kids a better life. Why did you want to do that? Because it was hard for me growing up and I had to struggle on such and such on my own. Why was that important to you? Keep on going. Another why. Do you think the day laborer is doing doing that for any other different reason? Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Exactly. Exactly. It's not, even though it might come out as negative and pejorative commentary, it's not always from a negative position. Sometimes it's just from an ignorant position because you haven't thought about that other perspective and you haven't necessarily had exposure to the other perspective to even imagine about it, you know? And so there, there, there are these varying levels of ignorance, you know, there's ignorance because I don't know. And there's ignorance because I know and choose not to. And the ignorance where I don't know, that gives you so much space, so yeah. much space to learn and evolve. How many people are 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 are, are in the other side? The the I'm ignorant, but I don't want to change. <laughs> Way like, too many, unfortunately. Real, all right, sorry. Well, the good news is is you're going to be in work for a while. Then I guess with that. <laughs> I always tell people like I wish y'all would work me out of a job. Honestly, yeah, I, I wish because because. One of the things that I find so amazing is when you sit there and I listen and I'm talking to people, because when I do the session, for example, you know, there are different people who do sessions differently. And there are sessions where you just drop all this wonderful facts and knowledge and stuff in the background. And then my approach is I'm more facilitative in my approach in that I believe we all have bright spots. We all have areas where we can just excel and use as a platform to excel from. And so I believe we can use those 
if you can identify those and figure out how to how to build on top of it. So even though I have all the history and all the facts and the data and numbers and all this stuff over here, I spend a lot more of my time leading the conversation into a certain direction rather than making you go in a certain direction so that people get there on their own. They get to own that that path. And I, I love that because it gets people to have that ownership of it, to understand that ownership of it. And hopefully, hopefully when they move out of that, that, that space, I'm ignorant just because I don't know, they'll have direct relationship to somebody who's ignorant because I choose to be and help work them through that. But at the base of all that, you oftentimes find out that people have the same base concepts. You know, that pro-life versus pro, uh, uh, pro-choice person, they love family and they want people to have a respected and well and, 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 and well-formed life. It's just how they got to that decision was slightly different. But at the base, oh, shocker, you almost have the same kind of moral structure. Yeah. But yeah. before we get there, we're too busy making decisions against each other to ever learn this. It sounds to me, and I just I want to I want to summarize something because I feel like this is an interesting point. You yeah. Know, what I'm picking up first thing is making sure there are clear rules of engagement, clear rules of discussion. Number two, it sounds like approach with curiosity is really important. Yes. Yes. So, so like if you talk about, for example, approaching with curiosity, if you talk about a session, so I kind of have like tiers of how I prefer to do my sessions. But if you talk about like uh, a day one, six hour session, we're probably spending a good three to four hours in just listening to each other. What is your opinion? What is your opinion? What is your thought? What is your thought? Why do you have that opinion? Tell me more about that. You know, I, I jokingly call it a gripe and moan session, which I'll call it in front of people. So, <laughs> but, but it's an opportunity to say, all right, you've had these thoughts on your mind for years and have never been able to express them out loud. We're doing it here. So you have to be able to say, approach with curiosity and you have to be able to sit there and be like, all right, I am going to listen. Like I'm going to deliberately intentionally and forcefully for myself, because it's hard. It's hard for everybody. <laughs> like it's hard not to talk, you know, but I'm going to forcefully force myself to sit and listen. Is there anything you do to prepare people to listen? Yep. I mean, I tell people, and some of that is factored into how I do my rules. For example, you know, I, I talk a lot about the fact you're going to be wrong. So just be ready for it. Just be ready to say something wrong and just be ready to hear something wrong. Like this is a space where we're trying to figure out and everything you learned in life, you did it wrong first before you ever learned how to do it right. Mm -hmm. So just understand you're going to be wrong. It's fine. Mistakes are going to happen. It's fine. And then I try to direct it to try and work around a defensiveness thing to be like, all right, all right, we're talking about an issue. So use I statements and don't directly talk about a person, talk about an issue. So if we're talking about racism in America, it's not black people or you people. It's when I hear about things or when I see something on the news or what I understand from the black community is, it's different than saying you people, which yeah. is inflammatory. That's, you know, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's on my like, no list. It's inflammatory. <laughs> and then yeah. even me standing in the front of the room, having been called several things, it's like, all right, I got to calm that down. And so, you know, I remind people that this is a steady practice. Like this is a steady practice. It's it's not we we learn how to talk, we learn how to walk, we learn how to read and all this stuff. We don't spend dedicated time learning how to listen. 
So, so as adults, all of a sudden you're going into a room and saying, you need to listen. And you're saying, okay, look, we don't spend dedicated time learning how to listen. So I know this will be hard for you. If you hear something, write it down, but, but don't defend, understand that that person is not talking about you at the same time. Don't point it at somebody. Try not to be offensive, but if somebody is offensive, understand it's a mistake. And that's part of all that laying down laying down the, the ground rules. Cause I, you were talking about um, how media takes over your mind earlier. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I was sitting in a session and one of the guys said, everybody's a racist. And, and I believe the question came through as, I think it came through along the line of, do you believe everybody who supports Trump is a racist? And then somewhere that got turned into a, yeah, every, every white person is a racist. And so of course, whew, Room, room blows up on that. Yeah, and and rightfully so. There, there's a reason I don't even use racist myself because that's, <laughs> it, that's probably right there with the you people. Right, comments, right, right. Huh? It's right there with you people, right? Yeah. <laughs> like everybody can get offended. It's possible. So, <laughs> but then what he what he was trying to get at, which we had to process out, was not that he was saying not that he was saying there's there's this binary concept of racism, right? They're not racist, or you're entirely racist. You're 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 a member of just a hate group, racist. And those other it's is either or. You're you're nothing. And what he was trying to get at was that there's a spectrum, and that because of the way the education system is, and because of the way the media is, there's no way for you not to be on that spectrum. And included on that spectrum are people of color. But the word, but but by saying you're a racist, that whole point gets missed because there's immediate emotional response to that that people completely shut down and don't hear the rest. I'll throw a little bit of like neuroscience in here because you yeah. may you may already you may already know this and but it, there's there's a system called the reticular activating system or reticular yep. activated. You know about it, yeah. I love and that so, phrase. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, it's trust me. Like I heard it once, I was like, "Dang, that <laughs> right, is going right, in right. the That's going in the memory banks. <laughs> and you, I want you to verify my interpretation of it. But my understanding is this system allows the brain to filter relevant information through. So we're picking up too much stimulus to consciously process at any given point in time. And the reticular activating system's job is to say, this is important, this is important, this isn't, this is important, this isn't. So like, you know, when you drive to work and you don't remember the ride, you know, that's an example of of your brain filtering out a bunch of irrelevant information. And and, and the reason I bring this up is because we consume such a vast amount of media and it keeps increasing. And it it helps to strengthen, I think, a lot of your biases and it helps to create this mental image. So even, you know, again, getting back to the example I shared, even if you are raised morally, uh, morally against racism, your brain will start to build a mental model of what the racial makeup of the world looks like and what yeah. that means. Yeah. And those biases, you can't escape. You can't yep. get out of there. Yep. And, and, you know, I want to, I want to flip that. And I, I hope you don't mind. Do you mind if I go into the race, into the race training a little more? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Cause like the other question I have is that, you know, my perception is that your, your average black person has had enough interactions where they've tried to explain 
racism in the US and just been shouted down and they're kind of like, you know what? I'm just going to go about my day. I'm not yeah. I'm just going to I'm not even going to deal with this. Yeah. I'd imagine it's almost harder to get that person to open up than it is to get the white person to open up. Because because yes. they've got a coping mechanism that's kind of built around this this messed up environment, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, how do you do that? How do you, how do you get people? I'm so curious as to how you get people talking uh, in, in, you know, because I, I, I do feel like, um, I feel like that, that almost might be a bigger challenge. Oh, getting people totally talking wronger. is a big challenge. No, 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 no. Yeah. Getting people started is definitely a big challenge because once again, you go back to that relationship, you know? So let's say this is a person you work with frequently. And I say this almost across the board. If this is a person you've worked with frequently, and let's say, Dan, you're the white male and me, the black guy, and we've worked I in the same company. I think we can play company. those roles. We can play those roles, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a good looking, suave black guy for those who can't see. <laughs> we'll have video so everybody can verify <laughs> right, this. Right. <laughs> so if, if we've worked together for four years, for example, and you've never talked to me, you can't come talk to me about race all of a sudden. We don't have the relationship there. And if we even, in, when I say can't talk to me, let's say it's never been beyond surface commentary of, did you see the game last night, night and the we uh, weekend weather and traffic? Those still, cons those still are, are considered not talking, let's just say, because we've never gotten past, past icebreaker level. We don't have a, a, enough of a trusting relationship to have a conversation there. And one of the other things that factors in, once again, we're thinking about history and what has built people in their perspectives up to now, you've got to factor in what is it to be black in the workplace? And you have to factor in what is it to be considered? Some might say token. I like to use race representative or cultural conduit. How do I know that you're not looking at me and thinking, oh, there's a black dude. I'm going to ask him about this. And so you have to remember that that question is always being played in there. And so if you want to ask the question, my first step for you, Dan, is first start to actually try to get to know me as a human. Like you have to know me as a person before we get into this conversation. At least know the kid's name, the wife's name, have an idea of some hobby, have actually talked to me for longer than a paragraph, you know? We go, we've gone to lunch. We actually have something we laugh about that isn't race related before we get into the conversation of race, because there is a whole world of difference that a minority of any color, of any gender, of any sex, of any age has to navigate through just to get to the same point that is going to inform their reaction to you. So let's start there. And that's that's taking the picture of somebody that you, quote unquote, uh, know. All right. Then there is the concept of what have you done on your own? So if you're entering into a conversation with me and you have. I remember doing a session, I mentioned Malcolm X, the people who I was working with mentioned Malcolm X as a Black Panther. Now, in the history of Black America and Malcolm X, I would say 99%, we'll, we'll leave some out, 
<laughs> have a strong idea of who Malcolm X is and who he was connected to. So if the only figure you know or have researched or understand is Martin Luther King, and that's only because it's a holiday and he's the main person discussed during Black History Month, mm-hmm. then you haven't done any work on your own. And you're, you're asking me to do the lifting for you. Because what will happen is I will, I'm tired. Like I, I say that directly. As a black man, I'm tired. I talk race. I live race. I'm tired. <laughs> I experienced I experienced race long before I got to this. Like George Floyd is nothing new to me, and I and I've had my own very close to similar scenarios long before it could be televised, and, and so that is in a back history. And while I'm willing to go into it and talk about it with people, you have to understand that everybody isn't, partially because some people might have had the fake person walk in who wants to talk about it, but really doesn't, you know, they want to talk about it to support that their belief is already right. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's another, like you have to walk into this conversation with an open mind an open window. And that's part of the reason you have to do your reading ahead of time. Like we're going to have this discussion. Show me that there's some history behind that you have actually taken some thought process to say, you know what? I don't understand this. And if I at least know that you've spent a little time frame thinking about it, that that helps. Even for somebody who you've never talked to, some stranger off the street and, and they start talking about something. And once again, this is where that tell me more and why jumps you into a conversation so easily. Because if somebody starts going into a conversation, I feel as though that's an open window to have a conversation with them. So let, the, let them say that I remember speaking to a young lady and she was like, uh, that'd be a bad example. But in the case where somebody's just having a loose conversation, you know, they're talking, they're talking about, I don't, I don't know where it is, but they're just talking about something and they mention race. Bam. Why do you think that is? You know, why, why do you think that is? Why do people act like that? And, and, and make it clear, like you're trying to learn. And I think oftentimes that will come through if you're genuinely asking. But if you're not genuinely asking, <laughs> I think that shows as well. Right, if yeah. you're questioning because you just want to get to a point where you want to show how right you are, then I, I think it comes through. Yeah. And I also always put the caveat in that once again, if you're talking to somebody who's walked through this, you don't know where they are in their path. And you don't know how long they've had to deal with it. And you don't know how much of a struggle they've had to go through. And so you have to remember that you might not be greeted in a welcome manner. You, you just might not. And that's the same thing as getting things wrong. You just might not be greeted. So if the first person shuts you down, go to two, go to three, go to four, because you should never stop at one anyway. <laughs> My, I always advocate for at least three minimum because I can't sp- speak for all of black America. I can't. I'm one man. You know, I can't speak for black America. You like <laughs> so to no, talk, but that's a lot of speaking, Kevin. That's a lot of speaking. I, I can't cover all those concepts. And, you know, and the other side of that is when I'm speaking to the minority, I, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, I'm in a room and I'm, I'm speaking to people and I'm like, and let's remember, there's a guy at my church and he was 42, I think, at the time. And he was just discovering uh, the, the concept of white privilege. And he was, he was, he was a police officer who had had some run-ins. And was like, I don't get it. I'm just now understanding this race thing and I'm trying to understand it. 
And you have to remember, even though at that time I'm 38, he's 40. I think I said 42, 40, 42, whatever. You got the idea. But whatever it is, I was 38 years older than him in understanding the race issue. So I have to give him grace. I'm 38 years down the road. So comparatively speaking, he's going to ask me questions that might be dumb questions. And I, and I have to offer a little bit of grace to be like, all right, look here. <laughs> yeah, you might not want to ask that question that way, but I can give you my perspective. Uh, but understand that there's a lot of learning that has to be done because of the, the the delay in the thought process to get there. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think this this can be applied to this thinking, you know, can be applied to a number of different issues. I mean, one of the yeah. other issues I think of is the abortion issue. Yes, I remember there was I was in a conversation with two people, man and a woman. Okay. Um, and know them well enough, but certainly not like, certainly not, not like we're not, buddy. we're not close friends, you know, but yeah. we know each other, we know each other well enough. And, um, the, the, the other man and I were talking about, you know, the nuances of the abortion issue and on and on. And then I looked over and I'm like, but where the only two people speaking in this conversation and where the only two people who will never have to have one or never have to never be confronted with that. Yeah. And it was funny because the look on the woman's face was like, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. You know? And, um, and, and so I, I, you know, it's, um, I, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's so, I, I think almost with any, with any issue that's contentious, you know, with anything, like, you know, we have this framework for discussion. We have we have this approaching with curiosity and this framework for like, how do we approach this? But the the last thing is we have to be ready to be stupid. And we have to be ready to sometimes have very uncomfortable interactions. And um and those and 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 that's something we just if we're ever gonna grow as if we're ever going to grow as people, but more importantly, if we're going to progress as a society, we really also need to get comfortable with the fact that we're wrong. And sometimes the things we're wrong about are really very emotionally charged for some people. Yes. And it's going to yes. blow right up in our face someday. Sometime. Yes. Yes. And I would even double down, expect that to happen. Mm -hmm. Expect you're going to be wrong. Yeah. Let's just, let's just remove the specter of being perfect out of it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's remove the specter. Like I walk into a room and I've been wrong standing in the front of the room. Let's remove the put the specter out of it. You're not going to be perfect. You're not always going to get it right. You're not always going to use the right word. You're not always going to say the right thing, but I hope that you will still always try. One last question too, which yeah. is, if folks want to find out about you mm -hmm. and folks want to dig more into the stuff you're putting out, where can they go? Go to openwindowsculture.com. And I definitely would love, would, would love for you to check it out. And of course, if you have an organization, you're trying to figure out this out in the organization, you know, it's what I do. It's what I love to do. I'd love to do it with your organization. So definitely feel free to reach out at openwindowsculture.com. I hope you liked this episode. And if you did, be sure to share it again with your friends, neighbors, relatives, and enemies. 
give it a review and if you have not subscribed yet consider this your invitation to hop on board this crazy train Kevin's site is openwindowsculture.com and his podcast is the Open Windows Culture Podcast. Be sure to check it out. Now, getting back to something I said at the top of the episode, I found Kevin's framework for reaching common truths really interesting, but equally interesting was how our continued exposure to messaging confirming our pre-existing beliefs can work against those efforts. And to be frank, often build those beliefs in the first place. And I think part of the battle, as Kevin said, is learning to listen. But the other part is being mindful of how the messaging we're receiving on a daily basis programs us to see the world in a certain way. Because we live in an environment where we're getting more information than our minds can meaningfully process. And the overconsumption of this information often leads our minds to seek what fits our mold. It creates a this self-reinforcing cycle, and we're often connecting dots that aren't there as a result. And this is what I'm going to be continuing to focus on in season two. Now, you may remember Arjun from The Factual in the July 8th episode and his goal of helping give the public transparency over credibility in news and partisan spin. And I'm going to be working more closely with him and The Factual to examine some of the more contentious political issues of the day. And for next month, I'll be covering Big Tech, aptly enough, the influence it has over the free flow of thought and speech, and what, if anything, should be done about it. I hope you will join me. And not to drag on this outro too long, but I would be remiss if I I did not once again commemorate the end of an era with the final episode produced by my man, the snake killer, the big Gino, Jason Putney. We are all going to miss you, Jason, and I don't consider this goodbye in so much as I consider this giving you advance notice of a flood of annoying late-night texts from me with stupid tech questions. (laughs) Put your phone on Do Not Disturb, Gino. See you all in Season 2, folks. Bye-bye. 